Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that uh, on a day like today, uh, we are reminded all our energy and our thoughts are focused uh, on the wonderful thing that you did so many years ago. Father, we thank you that all of your promises uh, come true in the coming of your son. Uh, We thank you that uh, if we trust in him, uh, we are promised eternal life. Father, as we think about these things this morning, please work in our hearts uh, to take your son seriously, perhaps for the first time, or for those of us who do trust in him, uh, that way we'll trust in him afresh this morning after recognising and learning uh, why it is so significant that your promise came true in the way that it did. Amen. Well, over the course of December, we've been working through a series leading up to Christmas. Uh, We have learnt, can anyone help me? What did we learn in the first week? Anybody remember? The saving one would come, Genesis chapter 12. And then we learnt that the saving one would suffer. Gee, we'll do it all again next year, don't worry. And then we learned that, that the saving one would die. die. And then Kirsty and I got COVID. And then so last week we learned that the saving one would rise. And this morning we finish off our series as we learn that the saving one will return. Now, I wonder, coming back to the Christmas story, if you've ever noticed how the arrival of Jesus the King uh, happens in the most unroyal way. Uh, when King Charles becomes king officially, it will not go down the way that it is described for us in Matthew and Luke. That is because Jesus' arrival to earth, the arrival of Jesus' king, does appear, it does happen in the most unroyal way. Uh, there's no parades, there's no special service. It just kind of happens. Uh, There's two accounts of Jesus' birth in the Gospels and the way that they are set out for us can leave us actually wondering, what is all the fuss about? What is all the fuss about? Uh, If you take a look at Luke's account, which Lucy just read for us, uh, you'll find that Luke only takes 33 words. To describe how it all happened. This is how Luke describes things. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. 33 words to describe the coming of the saving king into the world. Though if you thought Luke was brief, Matthew is even briefer in his description Because Matthew only takes 13 words. He says this, She gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. What is the deal? As you keep reading the gospel accounts, you quickly find appearing angels, shepherds in the hills who were surprised, and eventually a group of wise men from the east who brought presents, and who doesn't love presents at Christmas? But the story is over and done with so quickly that they kind of leave us wanting to know at least a little bit more about what all of this is about. 
After all, it would be a bit silly to base such a widely recognised annual celebration on the scant details of the Bible's description of Jesus' birth, wouldn't it? It's a little bit odd to do that. We don't do that in any other area of life, and it would be odd to do it here as well. Well, thankfully, where the Bible is brief on the details about Jesus' arrival into the world... Uh, It is brief because it is actually far more concerned in telling us what the arrival of this child means for the world. Specifically, the Bible wants us to know how this event should change our lives. And one of the clearest examples of this comes in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, where in chapter 2, Paul gives us some words to what was probably a very early hymn that Christians would sing to each other to remind them exactly of what Jesus had done for them. And so what we're going to do this morning is work through it briefly. Uh, Because in Philippians chapter 2, we are told how important the Christmas story is by showing us what is actually happening in it while giving us a vision that one day he will return. And so we need to be ready for his return. And the song begins like this in verses 5 to 7 by explaining to us that Jesus the King became a human. Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Uh, Here we see that upon the birth of the child in the stable, uh, even though Luke and Matthew are brief in their description of the events, uh, what is actually happening is a great transformation. Uh, in the, with the child in the stable, a great transformation was taking place. Uh, this is because since the beginning of time, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they existed in perfect unity together. Uh, this is what we call the Trinity. It was a union marked by perfect love and fellowship. And for the members of it, it was a nice place to be. It was a nice family to be a part of. And so we should not miss that in the story of Christmas, what we see is God the Son actually giving up that in order to come to earth for our sake. You see, Jesus was fully God. The book of Hebrews tells us that the Son made everything in the universe The Son is also the one who currently sustains all life on earth. Being the Son of God was a position of great power and glory. Yet for our sake, God the Son made the decision to give it up, to be born as a human in order that we might be saved. And so in the story of Christmas, we see... The same God who had flung the stars into space was willingly coming to live under the stars that he had made. 
The one who had formed the earth came and he walked upon the earth. The creator who had knit Mary together in her mother's womb was now being born to that same Mary. The God who made mankind in his image was now confining himself, giving up the glory of heaven and confining himself to our form. Friends, verses 5 to 7 tell us that at Christmas, we celebrate very simply because God got born. He became one of us. But God being born is actually not enough to celebrate on its own. Yes, we celebrate when children are born, but you would not celebrate the birth of God for thousands and thousands of years on its own. Because ultimately, we celebrate and give thanks for the reason that he came. Jesus became human, and point two is to die for humanity in verse 8. This is what it says. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus, God the Son, becoming human was not enough to save the world. Heroes don't just turn up, do they? They actually do something. Jesus needed to live a human life and be subject to human problems. And so he voluntarily experienced the most common of human problems, which is death. But his death was not without a purpose and it was not without meaning because as Jesus lived the perfect life that we are unable to, his death paid the price for our sins. Romans chapter 5 explains it like this. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A death is uncomfortable enough, though I have to tell you that death on a cross was especially so. A being hung on a cross was a death of unimaginable pain and actually utter shame, hung up literally for all the world to see. And yet in the story of Jesus, as we've seen all the way through December, in Jesus we see a God who came to earth to die for you and me, to go through that for you and me so that we didn't have to. But as the story of Jesus' life continues, as we learnt last week, we see that it did not end with death. And so just as Jesus came and became human and died for us, we see, as Philippians continues... That Jesus, because of his death for us, was then glorified in heaven. As the gospel accounts tell us, Jesus dies for sin and then he raises back to life again. Even though he voluntarily died for you and me, what we see in the gospels is the wonderful news that Jesus has defeated sin and he has actually also defeated death. A death could not hold him and so he defeated death. Which means that if you trust in him, you can defeat death as well. And so in the second part of the song in Philippians, we see this play out. Just as 
the son humbled himself, there was actually great reward for his humility. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. As a consequence of his self-sacrifice, God the Father raised God the Son back to life and exalted him back to heaven, entrusting him once again with the rule of the universe and then giving him the name that is above every other name, the Christ, the Lord, the King of Kings. After his humble birth and horrific death, the Son of God was then given status and authority that had not actually been his before. He had become God and man. Friends, the Jesus who demands our affections and allegiances died for us. He died for me. He died for you. And then in accordance with God's plan, he was raised back to life again and he ascended, which means he returned to heaven. Which means that this morning, if we trust in Jesus, we don't trust a baby We're not trusting in a guy who died for us and stayed dead. It means that we follow a risen king who at the moment, right now, this morning, is seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the father. Jesus is not a baby. He's not dead either. He's alive and reigning. And one day he will return, which is where we come to the end of this little series. Because that's where Philippians 2, this little song, ends by speaking about that day when he will return. Verses 10 and 11. When Jesus returns, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the final part of this very short little song, Paul directs our minds to the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus will return. That'll be a day when the glory and lordship of Jesus will be plain for all to see. He won't be hidden in a manger. People will not have to search for him around a town like Bethlehem. It will be plain for all to see. Jesus is the king. He is the saving one. Now that will be a day when everyone will know that Jesus is Lord. Though the difficult thing is that everyone will know that Jesus is Lord on that day, whether they like it or not. On that day, they will know. And on that day, every person on earth will bow their knee to him because he is the king and every tongue will confess that he is who he says he is. And so if that's the case, on that day, everyone will find themselves in one or two camps, won't they? If you belong to him and already know that he is your Lord, then the bent knee and worship of the tongue when he returns will simply be an expression of a faith rightly placed in him. For these people, the day of the Lord will be a wonderful event as the King of Kings comes 
to take his people home to heaven. Though this also means that if you don't trust in him, then the day he returns, it'll actually be a terrible day. Because for the people who do not trust in him, their bent knee and confession will not be an expression of their faith and trust in the Son, but instead it'll be a confession made for the first time in response to the visible manifestation of his glory. And the Bible tells us, friends, that this will not be a saving confession. When the Son returns, it will be too late. All will submit, all will confess, but not all will be saved. And so the challenge is to make sure you're in the right camp now before he comes home. Friends, you are either in the group that knows and is expecting the return of Jesus or you are in the group for which that day will arrive, catching you unprepared and eventually judged by the King of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who was born as a man and who died on a cross to offer you a forgiveness, a forgiveness which you ultimately rejected. Friends, even though in this season we remember that a life came into the world, it would be a terrible shame to miss the fact that Jesus came into the world, became life on earth, in the end, to offer us life. That's why Jesus came. And so the question this morning that we all need to ponder is where we think we will find ourselves on the day when Jesus returns. Are you ready? Is Jesus your Lord? Will your bent knee on that day be because you are finally meeting your Saviour face to face? Or will your bent knee on that day simply be an acknowledgement of a lifetime of rejection of him and not taking him seriously and not taking Jesus and his forgiveness that he offered All he calls upon us to do is simply trust him. One of the parts of the Christmas story I love, as we alluded to before in our kids' spot, is how the angels appear on the hillside outside Jerusalem in front of those poor shepherds uh, who were in for a quiet night, probably looking to ward off some wolves from killing their sheep. Uh, These poor shepherds were confronted with thousands of angels, an army of a heavenly choir and in front of the poor shepherds that choir sang praises to God so loudly that they sounded like an army it would have been terrifying but why did they sing well on that night the great army of angels appeared and they praised God because as we've seen through this little series we've done in December on that night All of God's promises for saving the world were coming true. God promised that a saving one would come. He had arrived. He also promised that he would suffer and die, which is what laid in this child's future. Though he did die, paying the price for our sin, and he returned, and he's coming back one day. The Saviour had arrived. Forgiveness would be made available through his blood, And a new future for anyone who trusted him was now at hand. 
Friends, the truth is, with all of that happening, heaven could not keep quiet. Because finally, Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, the King of Kings, the saving one who God had promised, had arrived. And he had come to bring peace to earth by offering all of us forgiveness and a future in his heaven. Friends, the challenge for us this morning is to answer this question. Where will you stand when he returns? What will your confession be? The confession of a lifetime, having your trust placed rightly in the saviour of the world. Friends, that's the only place that you can find peace and hope and security this Christmas.